If any parents have children ages 4 to 7 and you want to dismiss them to Stepping Stones, you can do that. Say again? All right, then 4 to 10. You can dismiss them to Stepping Stones. I saw a sign last week celebrating a baby's first birthday. It was set up in someone's yard with big letters, bigger than this, I think. Families celebrate a baby's first steps, celebrate a baby's first words and other achievements as they grow and mature. And parents are told to work towards their children becoming independent, where they become responsible adults, where they're working and able to provide for themselves and a family, where they're helping others. And that is a really good goal, but it's incomplete. There's more that we should be going after. Some years ago, I heard Paul Miller give a talk on prayer and ask his audience to imagine that you're in a restaurant sitting at a table and you hear two men at the table next to you talking. And the one man says to the other, well, I have to check with my father because I only do what my father tells me to do. And I remember thinking, you know, what that man said is a very strange thing for a grown man to say. And I had no idea at that point where Paul Miller was going with this. So then he asked the audience, so what do you think of the man? And somebody said, he needs to grow up. He needs to stand on his own two feet. Somebody else said, he needs to stop being a daddy's boy. Somebody else said, well, he sounds immature to me. Well, then Paul shared that he had deliberately disguised the situation. And the man who said words like that, was Jesus. And I remember being shocked that Jesus would say something like that. But read the book of John, and you will see that Jesus spoke clearly about being submissive to his Father. And you can see that he talked with words like that about being dependent on God the Father. Now contrast Jesus' attitude with our opening verse today, where the serpent is speaking to Eve in the Garden of Eden. So remain seated, and let's read together from the screen, Genesis 3, verse 5. Let's read this together. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the serpent wants Adam and Eve to eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God specifically forbid them to eat from. When you think about it, God gave Adam and Eve an entire garden full of fruit trees to eat from. Okay, so they did not lack food. They did not lack variety of food. And the bait that Satan gave for rebelling against God, because that's what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to rebel against God. The bait was the offer of independence from God. He said, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. This is our second week in the sermon series, Praying the Psalms. Last week, we looked at how the writers of the Psalms were open with their emotions as they spoke to God. And you were encouraged, we're all encouraged, to be real with God when we pray. Today we're going to see how the Psalms point us toward cultivating a dependency on God. And that's where the sermon title comes from. The reason I say that we need to cultivate a dependency on, on God 
is because Adam and Eve did eat the forbidden fruit. And ever since then, the brokenness of our humanity that resulted from their disobedience is the mistaken idea that we can be independent of God. In fact, that's how we naturally think, not only independent of God, but independent of authority. I had an example of this just yesterday in the library. I'm standing waiting to check out my books, and there's this family, both parents and two little children, a little boy about three years old. And if they corrected him once, they corrected him at least eight times. Stop running. Be quiet. Literally, eight times. The only time he ever slowed down was when they grabbed his shoulder until he could get away, and he's off running. It was very clear. He wanted to run, and who's going to stop him? It's natural for us to think in terms of, I, I can do whatever I want. I don't need to listen to anybody else. Well, let's start this morning with three psalms that give us a different perspective. First, Psalm 6, verse 4. <clears throat> Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 28, verse 9. O save your people <clears throat> and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Excuse me. I took a drink and the water went down the wrong way. <clears throat> and then Psalm 31, 2. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. And so one common theme you see in these verses is distress. And with that distress, the request to be rescued, the need for rescue. You look at the words you see in, the, in Psalm 6, deliver my life, save me. In Psalm 28, carry them. In Psalm 31, <clears throat> rescue me, be a rock of refuge. Now, Everybody has times in our lives when life is hard and it seems out of control. And at that point, we naturally look for rescue. And in the Psalms, in these verses, the writers are looking to God for rescue. But it brings a question. Is the message of the Bible, turn to God in emergencies, but otherwise do life on your own? Is that the message? It seems to be the message you could get from these verses, right? Turn to God when you have trouble, when things are really bad, when you have an emergency, but otherwise do life on your own. And the answer, short answer is no. That is not the message. But having said that it isn't the message, it's easy for all of us to fall into this way of thinking because it's attractive to us. I've heard more than one person say, God only gets involved in the big stuff, in the big things. He doesn't get involved in the small daily parts of life. And I wouldn't have put it exactly like that, but I used to think that. I used to think that God was only involved in the big stuff. Or what about this other thing that we hear for those who, there are some people who say there is no spiritual at all of life. Many others say, oh, yes, there is spiritual part of life, but there's also the secular part. So you have the sacred, secular, the spiritual, secular. 
But often in that case, the secular part, the non-spiritual part, is about six or more likely six and a half days, maybe all but two hours of the week. And then the spiritual part is when you go to church or you read your Bible, and God's there, but he's not in the rest of the week. So either one of those cases, sacred, secular, or only God's only involved in the big things, if that was true, then yes, we would have some degree of independence from God. But that's not, that's not what God tells us. So we're going to look at another psalm. It's actually the most well-known of the psalms. And I don't know if you thought of it this way, but Psalm 23 gives us a bigger picture of dependence on God. So again, remain seated. Let's read this together from the screen. Psalm 23, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, King David wrote this, and he had personal knowledge of sheep and shepherds because he grew up as a shepherd. David knew that without a shepherd, sheep would die. He knew that the shepherd is the one who provided good food for the sheep, and that sheep, if left to themselves, will eat the grass all the way down to the root and kill it. So left to themselves, they're going to eat one patch of grass, kill it, go to the next patch, kill it, go to the next one, eat it, kill it. What's going to happen? Pretty soon, no more grass means no more food. Also, sheep are not smart enough to avoid plants that will make them sick. So the shepherd has to see them and then move the sheep away from it. The shepherd provided a safe place for the sheep to get water. If a sheep got into fast-moving water, it could drown. <clears throat> the shepherd provided a safe place for the sheep to rest. Unsettled sheep do not stay healthy. The shepherd provided or protected the sheep from their own wandering. I remember this sermon and a few old-timers that have been here long enough to have heard Ron Bossom years ago when he preached on sheep was talking about how sheep in the flock will look up and way in the distance they will see the one little blade of grass just waving there in the wind. Oh, and that's the one they want. And so if you let them, they'll go chase after and get that one little blade. And then after he's had that one, they'll look. Oh, look, over there, further on, there's another one. And ever since he did this, I remember, this is the little blade of grass that the, shepherd, that the sheep goes after. Well, what happens if the sheep does this? Pretty soon, the sheep has lost track, can't see the, the flock. It's now lost. And then the shepherd protected the sheep from predators. And so what you see in the psalm is that the shepherd does a lot. And if you think about it from the sheep's point of view, if the sheep wants to have 
a good life. It ought to listen to the shepherd and it ought to follow the shepherd. <clears throat> well, in Psalm 23, God is the shepherd and you and I are the sheep. So look with me at all that God does as the shepherd. In verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That means not only does he provide food, but he also gives rest. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in right paths. Verse 4, he is with me. He comforts me. Verse 5, he prepares a table for me. He anoints my head with oil. You and I often underestimate our own need for God. In fact, you think about it, independence from God is ridiculous when you consider the fact that God created us and he's the one that keeps us living. It's like your favorite appliance. Pick your favorite appliance, whatever it is, dishwasher, vacuum cleaner, whatever, and it just decides one day, I'm going to unplug myself. Whoop. Okay, what's going to happen? It's dead. That's how silly and ridiculous independence from God is. And God's care is both physical and spiritual. God made us, not only made us, but made us to depend upon him. In fact, it's clear in the Bible that every living thing depends on God. And you and I don't think about it that often. But God is the one who gives us every breath that we take and every beat of our heart. So not only is God the one who gives us life, but he's also the one who numbers our days. That is, he's the one who determines the length of our lives here on earth. So Psalm 23 is a picture of our dependence on God. But this idea of dependence Dependence on God isn't just in the Psalms. Let's take a minute and look at James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Here James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So look at verse 13 at the beginning and what the speaker is saying. He says, well, today, tomorrow, I'm going to travel to this place, to this town. I'm going to spend some time there. I'm going to work and I'm going to make money. What is that speaker assuming? is going to happen for them. They're assuming first that day is going to follow day, that they're going to have that year to be able to do that, that they're going to have good health. They want to do trade. They're, they're assuming people are going to buy my goods at the price I want them to buy it at, and that I'm going to be able to make a profit and nobody's going to steal my money. Turns out, speaker's making a lot of assumptions. And in verse 15, James says, well, instead of making all those assumptions, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. And that phrase in verse 15, if the Lord wills, reminds us that God is sovereign. That he's in control of all things. And so the implication of what James is saying is that you and I should ask God about everything. And that we should depend upon God 
and follow God's direction in everything. And notice in verse 16, James calls the lack of dependence on God arrogance and boasting. And so one of the things that happens when you and I depend on God is that it results in us growing in humility. Now, an example of this kind of dependence is George Mueller in England in the 1800s. You haven't heard of him. He was actually German and was a missionary to England. And his life is a fascinating study. But let me just warn you about this. There are two kinds of Christian biographies. There are the ones that paint the picture of the person as if they do no wrong. And then there are ones that are realistic. Well, I found a really good one that's realistic. And it talks about George Mueller. So, for example, George Mueller became a Christian after he started seminary. Because already in that day, a, a living as a pastor was considered a good, comfortable living if you wanted to go that route. You didn't have to believe in God. You didn't have to believe that the Bible was the Word of God. And he didn't until God met him and God changed his life. And it was a radical change of life. Well, George Mueller believed that God had called him in particular, didn't think this was a, for everybody, but called him to be an example to other Christians of faith in God and dependence on God. And so as he told other people about his work, and though he told them, he never asked for money. In fact, he, he lived at a time when if you were a pastor of a church, the way that you got your living was from the pew rent. People paid for their seats in the church, and that's how you made a living. And he told the church, because he was a pastor for a church like that for a time, he said, I'm, I'm abolishing that. You just give me what you believe God would have you give me. He ended up getting receiving three times the normal pew rent money he would have gotten. But he didn't keep it. He gave it away because he believed God was going to use him, and God did. God used George Mueller to build and run orphanages and to support missionaries and to distribute Bibles. Listen to this next part. God developed in George Mueller a simple confidence in God. But in reading his biography, George Mueller said that George had to work daily to maintain that confidence in God and that dependence on God. Well, why did he have to work at it daily? Because depending on God doesn't come naturally to us. So George Mueller said the biggest work that he had to do every day was to get his own heart to the place where he was ready to do whatever God said to do. God gave him a long life. I think he lived to about age 90. And he had him build multiple orphanages and not all at once. And so, for example, when he believed that God would have him build an orphanage, he began to look for the property. And sometimes the property he thought God wanted was the property God wanted, and sometimes it wasn't. And sometimes, after God had provided the money to buy the property, he would have to wait months for the money to come in to build the building. And then he had to find the staff. And so one of the things about depending on God is it doesn't mean that you're idle. It doesn't mean that we lack initiative. It doesn't mean that we're weak. 
what it does mean, what depending on God does mean, is that as you live your daily life, so at home, at work, at school, in church, everywhere, you and I are to look to God for our wisdom and direction. Meaning, you and I should not think that we have the wisdom that we need on our own. We're to look to God for understanding and discernment, not just of others and situations, but also of ourselves. We're to look to God for strength and stamina, because we don't always have strength and stamina to do the things that we know that we need to do. We're to look to God for comfort and hope and encouragement. And we're look to, we are to look to God to enable us to love him and to love others with a godly love. So if you want to summarize those bullet points there on the screen, the Christian life is to be a life of dependence on God. It is to be a life of dependence on God. Now, if you remember last week in the sermon, I asked a question. I said, as Christians, what should we do with our hearts as we respond to the circumstances of life? And last week I talked about three views of the human heart. Greek view, the modern view, and, and the biblical view. In the Greek view of the heart, Greeks thought that, that reason and the will is wonderful stuff and emotions are to be avoided, so stifle them. The modern view turns it other way around and says emotions are what you are to follow. Be true to yourself. So in response to that question, how, what do we do? How do we respond to circumstances first? Don't stifle your emotions. Say no to the Greek view. Don't let your emotions rule you. Say no to the modern view. Instead, express your emotions and respond biblically to them. And so last week, we talked about expressing our emotions when we pray to God by sharing honestly with God what we think about a circumstance. Let me finish this morning by showing you how responding biblically to God or biblically to our circumstances, requires you and I to depend on God. So let me tell you about a situation, a true situation that happened. Some years ago, <clears throat> my family went on a vacation to Virginia Beach in the summer. And we stopped for lunch uh, on the way at our, at that point, our favorite barbecue place. And just after lunch, we were on the car again, and less than a mile down the road, we get a flat tire. And so as I'm putting on the spare tire... I discover that all four tires are bad. They're, they're really marginal. And I, didn't, I knew that if I just kept on going with that spare, if I had a second flat, I was sunk. I was in trouble. So I was concerned about all this, and I decided, you know what? I need to replace all four tires. So we found a tire place pretty close to where we were. The good news, they had tires for our van, and they were uh, at a reasonable price. The bad news... The tire place had been without air conditioning for a week, was still without air conditioning, and it took us about five hours to get our tires done. We were, you, you can, to say that we were hot while we were waiting was an understatement. Now, God shows us in the Bible, by command and principle, the Christian life that he calls us to live. So let me just pick one command. In everything, give thanks. Now, Instead of being thankful, our natural response is to complain and then to complain some more, especially when life is hard. Now, 
Remember I said earlier, responding biblically means first that you talk to God about your situation, and then you look biblically to see where to go. I don't remember all of the particulars of what I thought, but I did have an internal conversation with God. And some of the thoughts went like this. God, why did we get a flat tire on vacation? Vacation is supposed to be a time of rest. God, we could be at the beach right now. Now, Karine will kind of roll her eyes at this one. We could be at the beach right now enjoying a breeze. Because she knows I don't really like the beach as much, nearly as much as she does. But this one I know is me. God, I don't want to spend money on tires right now. I'm already spending money for a vacation. So I'm having this kind of conversation. And then throw into the mix, and if only. Oh, Mark, if only you had been paying more attention to your tires in your car before the vacation, if you had new tires, this, we wouldn't be in this mess right now and be sitting here sweltering in the heat. And then I know I had a struggle with patience. I know because I remember pacing in the waiting room back and forth, looking through the window in the bay, and I'm calculating the time. How long is it going to, how long are they taking per car? So I know about what time my car is going to get there, and now I know about how long it's going to take. Didn't quite work out that way. All right, so I'm having this kind of conversation inside with God. Okay? Tempted to complain, maybe complaining a little bit, doing the if only, kicking myself, and those kinds of things. I had been taught something else here at Harvester Church. And that was to ask myself this question. What biblical truths apply to this situation? So here's where the responding biblically part comes in. I knew God is in control. And God loves me, which means that even though I don't think it looks all that loving, this is part of God's loving plan for me. I knew that God had provided for us and that God was protecting us. I knew that God doesn't leave us on our own, that God gives every Christian his spirit, and the spirit of God reminds us of God's word, which is why I was able to remember that God is in control and that God is love. The Spirit of God reminds us of God's character and then enables us to trust God and to obey God. So yes, it was hot while we waited for the new tires, but we were glad that they had fans and the fans helped some. We played games to pass the time rather than just sitting around because sitting around, eventually, pretty sure I'm going to give in to that complaining. After we had the new tires and we only probably went half a mile to find a restaurant to eat dinner because by that time it was dinner time, we really enjoyed the air conditioning in that, in that restaurant. But I remember sitting in the restaurant and I remember praying before the meal. And I remember thanking God that he had provided for us that we could get the tires. And I remember thanking God that he protected us. Because if we'd been on the interstate, high speed, and had a big blowout, might not have been so good. And then God gave us a good rest of the vacation. And so it ended up being restful, even though it didn't start that way. Well, not every circumstance has the kind of happy ending that you and I would like. 
But this we know in every circumstance, that God is faithful and he never puts us in a place where I, I can say honestly, I had no choice. I could not trust you, God. I could not depend upon you. He never puts us in that place. We can always trust God. We can always depend upon him. So let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, ask God to help you to cultivate a God dependency in all of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. As we sing songs of praise to you, as we look at your word, as we see how you dealt with people, as uh, was already referenced in Hosea, as we see in Psalm 23, Lord, you are faithful. You are good. We are not. You work in us and change us, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us to desire to have this kind of God dependency that we live life with you closely every day, talking to you, looking to you for our strength and wisdom and all that we need. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with us.